Good morning, friends. Welcome to First United Methodist Church. My name is Mike Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here. We are thrilled for all of you who are worshiping with us. Some of you this morning are live streaming with us. We are grateful for that. We want to welcome our Cisco Fellowship and the fellowships that are in every single home in the Metroplex that are part of this worship, or perhaps uh, you will be joining us later in the week. We're grateful for that. Uh, right here, here on Fifth Street, welcome. Welcome to the sanctuary. I hope that you have found one of the attendance pads. Please do sign your name, share it with others. You might learn the name of somebody worshiping nearby you, and that's always a great way to be able to greet others by name. We always want you to know the things that are coming up, the next big things. And if you have a bulletin with you, you have noticed that there are a lot of things that are being promoted right now. We also want to remind you that you can always go to our website. You can go to fumcfw.org events, and it gives you an opportunity to see what's coming up and to make a note of that so you can plan on being with us. For example, two weeks from today, during the 9.30 service, we are going to have a blessing of the backpacks. It's just the sweetest thing in the world because for some, we are talking about our school children who are bringing their backpacks with them. Youth do it, and even adults. Think of all of you who use some type of a, a backpack or a bag or a satchel or something to do your job. Uh, bring, come next Come on the 13th, come to the 930 service, bring that and know that all of our education and our vocation is being blessed together. So we invite you to do that. We are grateful for your presence today. And now let's prepare our hearts and our minds for worship through Peggy's Prelude. to extend my welcome to you also. I'm Pastor Phyllis, and I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us. I invite you now, as you're able, to stand for our call to worship. And after our call to worship, we'll be singing hymn number 103, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, submit to God. 
and God will make your path straight. We submit ourselves to you as you have gathered us in worship, O God. Let your will be our will. Amen. One of the things we do together as a community of faith is to say the affirmation of faith. It's in your hymn book on 881, and I invite you to join me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and sitted at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Please be seated. And now we're honored to invite Marshall and Caroline Watts to come forward with Chapel Grace for her baptism. Sisters and brothers in Christ, baptism is a sign of God's mercy and love, reminding us that we don't come into relationship with God on the basis of what we do, but rather on the basis of God's love and invitation to us. Children have always had an important place among God. Remember the words of Jesus, how he said, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for it is such as these belong the kingdom of God. Now, to Chapel's parents, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sins? If so, say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races? If so, say, I do. And will you nurture Chapel Grace in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example, she may be guided to accept God's grace for herself, to profess her faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? If so, say, I will. I will. Hey, Chapel. Chapel Grace, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and pray God's richest blessings upon you now and every day of your life. Amen. Would you all lay a hand on her with me, please? Chapel Grace, the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water in the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't shake your bow off, girl. <laughs> the baptism of Chapel Grace in every child and every adult that happens in the life of this community is never in a vacuum. It's something that we endeavor to do together because the truth is Chapel Grace needs to be taught and shown what it is to grow and live as a beloved child of God, knowing that always and everywhere she is cared for. She is loved. Oh, magic. But I won't test it. <laughs> if you promise to be one of those people who helped Chapel Grace and so many others learn what it is to be a beloved child of God and to live into that identity above all others, will you please join me in our congregational response? With God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ that Chapel Grace surrounded by steadfast love, may be established in the faith and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to life eternal. Amen. Lord Jesus, my son, child, Savior.
soon Chapel Grace is going to be big enough to join the group that's now coming for Faith Like a Child. Kids, come on down to our normal spot. Good morning to everyone. Good morning, friends. We are so glad that you're here in church today. Mr. Mark is on a renewal leave until September. He's resting and he's learning from others and he's having a lot of fun. And I know that makes him very happy. So I have two questions for you this morning, and the questions are here in the, uh, the wise owl bag. You put that right there. Here we go. Here's the first question. What are some ways that you like to have fun? Anybody want to say one? Yeah. Swimming. Swimming, yes. Yes, playing with friends and family, yes. Play funny pool games, yes, yeah. Having time with your family, yes. Playing with your bunny, oh, these are all so good and there, there, there are so many, thank you for those. I have another question. Here's the second one. Are there bad ways to have fun? Hmm. Or here's another way of thinking about that. Okay. Are there things your parents say that you shouldn't do? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Don't fight. Don't fight. Yes, thank you. Don't draw on the walls. Don't draw Don't what? Right, exactly. Always wear proper clothing in every moment. (laughs) See, and you know what? None of these, these shouldn't kinds of things, none of them are the things that make us happy. Thank you for sharing them. You know what makes me happy? What makes me happy is trying to be kind and trying to help others. Now, some of you might not know that up on the second floor in the children's area, we have a big wheel. Stephen, thank you for showing everybody, if you can, look to one side or another. See that big wheel? It's on the wall in the children's wing on the second floor. And Stephen, could you show us the plaque that's right? Yes, it's called the Outreach Wheel. And it's a wheel that you can spin and it gives 12 different things 
that we can do to be kind and help others, and they're fun things. Now, I decided today, just for today, that I wanted to rename the outreach wheel. Stephen, can you show us? Here it is. Today it is the wheel of fun. Yes. Now, we're down here in the sanctuary, so we can't literally spin it and hear that clicking sound. So I wonder, Miss Peggy, is there a way that you could help us kind of imagine what it would be like to spin the wheel right now? Peggy, we're ready. That was a perfect spin, and here's where it landed. Are you ready? The wheel landed on make a friendship card for someone who's had a hard day. Make a friendship card. That would be something that all of us could do that would be both fun and kind. Peggy, could we try another spin, please? right on the edge, isn't it? This one is hold the door for someone else. That is such an exciting thing to do. On Friday, there was a man who held the door for me at the fitness center, and he had a big smile on his face, and I did too. It was so exciting. So how about, how about one last spin, Miss Peggy? The perfect spot. Read to someone younger than you. Or if you're still learning how to read, you can show them pictures in your book. Think about what an important thing that is, and I guarantee you that reading will make you happy every single day of your life. Hey friends, should we thank Miss Peggy for helping us spin the wheel? Should we? Yay, Miss Peggy! This is, it's, it's exciting to be kind and to try to help others. So friends, hooray! Hooray for the wheel of fun. Hooray for each of you. And hooray for either meeting over here to go up to our activities on the second floor or going back to be with your family right now. Goodbye, friends. Have a great day. And hooray for singing hymns. Let us stand together as we sing together. O word of God incarnate.
please be seated. Our scripture lesson today can come from the book of Proverbs. It will be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Updated Edition, but you can use your own Bible or the Pew Bible, and it is found on page 585 in the Old Testament. My child, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare they will give you. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard in the sight of God and of people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing for your flesh and refreshment for your body. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My child, do not despise the Lord's discipline or the weary of his reproof. The Lord reproves the one he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Happy are those who find wisdom and those who get understanding. For her income is better than silver and her revenue better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who lay hold of her and those who hold her fast are called happy. God speaks to us through the reading of scripture. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to say a word of gratitude and thanks to everyone who's made worship possible this morning. Thank you to the Morning Song Choir. Thank you to our musicians for their leadership. Thanks to everyone who's a part of leading in, uh, in discipleship ministries with young people, uh, with children and adult Sunday school classes, everyone who's a part of all of those ministries. Thanks to our folks on our technology team who are connecting us live all around the area, but also folks who catch up later on throughout the week. So thankful to be in worship with all of you. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And a number of years ago, someone gave me a piece of wisdom. They gave me a proverb, so to speak, and it made a profound impact on my life. I'm going to tell you something this person said. It changed my life. It changed a lot of things for me, so I want you to take it seriously. They said, do not study where you relax and do not relax where you study. Do not study where you relax. Do not relax where you study. And they went on to explain what that meant. I actually don't remember who it was that told me. But I remember when it was. It was the summer between when I had graduated high school and I was about to head off to the first semester at college. And I can't remember if it was someone who was the parent of one of my friends. I can't remember if it was a customer at the coffee shop I worked at. I can't remember if it was one of my colleagues at the newspaper I was interning at. Don't study where you relax. Don't relax where you study, they said. And I remember saying something on the lines of, thanks, I, I do pretty good in school already. Uh, if y'all remember last week's message, I was a little hard to get along with for a period of time there. 
So that was a really natural thing for me to say. And they said, I'm sure you have. You also haven't gone to college yet. Don't relax where you study. Don't study where you relax. And they gave me some advice. And I ended up following it really closely. I don't know why, but for some reason it made a big impression on me. And I ended up living into it. So that fall when I went off to school, uh, by the way, my mom loves telling the story that uh, she worked a deal out with the dorm to pay extra to move me in early. So that was my parents' experience of dropping their kid off at school. Hi, mom. Um, I moved into the dorm. It was the 17th floor of the Castilian Dormitory right next to the University of Texas at Austin. Was uh, moving in with one of my great friends from high school, Corey. We're still good friends to this day. And I made sure that my dorm was just a place of relaxation. It was just a place of relaxing. It was a place for watching and re-watching the Royal Tenenbaums and other favorite movies on DVD over and over and over again. It was a place for playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 on PlayStation 2 over and over and over again. It was a place just for making the world's best mixed CDs that I could go and listen to later on in my Firebird. It was just that kind of place. That's what my dorm was for. And when it was time to go get work done, when it was time to go write papers, when it was time to go highlight passages, when it was time to go read books, etc., when it was time to get work done, I would take my compact Presario laptop and I would put it in my backpack and I would head down to the study hall in the dorm. I would head to one of the library carols on campus or if I had a little bit of spending money, I might go to the Spider House or the Metro on Guadalupe or a place like that. And when I was there, I was not relaxing. I was not goofing around. I was not surfing the internet. I relaxed where I relaxed at my dorm. That's where I chilled out. That's where I killed time. That's where I hung out with friends and talked. And when it was time to study, I was in the study hall. I was in the library. I was focused. And it worked. It worked. I had a very productive first few years at college. I did great in grades. And more importantly, I had a really low stress level about it. It just worked. Keeping those things separated, making sure I maintained those focus, that word of wisdom worked. And then, because of high school AP classes, I only had one more year left in college, and I decided I don't want to live in the dorms anymore. I'm 20 years old. I'm a full-grown man. (laughs) So I deserve what every full-grown man deserves, his own studio apartment. And so that's where I went. I got my own studio apartment on 6th Street in Austin. (laughs) And those are sounds of recognition (laughs) from the people who know that that is not the center of academic excellence in the city of Austin. That is not the gathering place for future PhDs. I held it together, but I was too far away I had no study hall. I was too far away from the library just to zip up to it to go to campus. So I tried to both relax and be productive in that place. And it just didn't work. It was a mess. Whenever I was trying to relax, there was always some paper, some reading, some something hanging over me. I couldn't just relax. And when it was time to buckle down, when it was time to work, when it was time to get the job done, there was always a video game or a television show or a movie or the entire internet to pull me away from. I managed to get out with a good GPA intact, but it was a mess. 
It was so much more stressful. It was so much more difficult. It was so much harder to the point when seven years later, I went back to grad school to prepare myself for pastoral ministry. I went back to that old way and home was just for home. It was just for relaxing. It was just for being with family and being present. And work was just for work. It was just for focusing on the work that was to be done. And when it was time to write papers, when it was time to read books, when it was time to study, that was for school. Don't study where you relax. Don't relax where you study. And I'm in a situation now where I happen to get to know a lot of young people before they head off to, high, to college for the first time. I get to know a lot of people who are about to return to school for graduate work. And what do you think I say? Don't relax where you study. Don't study where you relax. This changed my life. Let me pass it along to you. It's funny, you know, that word of wisdom, that proverb, has a couple things going for it. It sees into the reality of what it is to be struggling with boundaries for maybe even the first time in your life. You know, I use school as an example, but how many of us are seeing the lines between home and work blurred more and more constantly every single day? Some people say it's called working from home. Others say it's called living at work. We see the pain and the difficulty that lack of boundaries cause. It sees the reality of that, and it calls me into a better life. That word of wisdom says it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that stressful. It doesn't have to be that hard. It can actually be more peaceful. It can actually be better. It can actually be more productive. You don't have to live that way. There's another better way, and it will involve you saying no to some things. It will involve you being disciplined in some areas, but I promise you everything that you're being asked to set down is for your own good so that you can pick up something else that is better. That's what Mike was alluding to. I love that question. What are some bad ways to have fun? Thanks, Mike. <laughs> that was, I'm so glad my kids weren't a part of that. I, I, could, I would have had to transfer to a new church. <laughs> We're in a sermon series right now called Words from the Wise. It's an introduction to a section of the Bible called Wisdom Literature. The wisdom literature is in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. It's the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Job and Song of Solomon. They're words that are written from people who've lived life to others who are trying to live. They're testimonies of people who have gone through this life and they've learned. They've seen what is fruitful, what is good, what is right, what is helpful, what really makes a difference, and they're passing that along. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and the Song of Solomon are four people who are trying to better understand how to live this life. It's for people who want to know what's the moral arc of this universe? Why are we created? Why are we here? And is there any way for me to live my life in conjunction with that? If that's you, Proverbs is for you. Proverbs is for people who are trying to say, how do I make the world a better place for me, for my kids, but for the people who deserve it, for the people who are being trampled on or left behind? This world could be so much better, must be so much better, must be changed in a righteous way. And if that's you, the wisdom literature is for you. There are people who are saying, what do I do with this one wild and precious life? How do I live it in a way that is not only good, but honors the God who deigned to breathe life into me in the first place? If that's you, wisdom literature is for you. 
If you're one of the people who says, I have messed up. I have made a mistake. I have become addicted. I have broken relationships. I have lost my word behind. I am embarrassed of who I am or what I've done. And I'm wondering, is it too late? If that's you, the wisdom literature is for you. And if you're someone who's so overcome with stress or with anxiety or with angst or with real struggles or are just looking for a decent night's sleep, wisdom literature is for you. That's what we're focusing on. That's what we're talking about. And uh, I want to focus a little bit on the word wisdom itself. As you all know, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in King James English. No, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, primarily with a little bit of Aramaic in there. And so when the writers wrote on the scrolls, the books that we now have as the the Hebrew Bible, they didn't write the word wisdom. They wrote the word chokmah. And I'm about to lead a trip to the Holy Land with members from our church. It's not too late for you to consider going as well. And so I need to brush up on my Hebrew pronunciation a bit. Why don't we do that together? Would you repeat after me? Chokmah. Let's try one more time. Chokmah. They wrote the word chokmah, and translating it as wisdom is an entirely appropriate translation. But the word is also used previously in the Bible, particularly, I believe, in the book of Exodus, to describe certain people among the nations of Israel, people who were incredible artisans, and they had magnificent skill. They were described as having excellent chokmah. And what that meant was an incredible skillfulness. And so when we talk about wisdom literature and the wisdom writings, and when the Proverbs are highlighting what it is to have wisdom, that word chokmah applies to you becoming the kind of person who is skilled at living, who's skilled at making the right decision at the right time for the right purposes with the right reasons. Chokmah is not about knowledge. It's about being formed in a skillful way of living. And that requires some serious humility. Last week, we talked about the phrase, the fear of the Lord. It's throughout the wisdom literature, the fear of the Lord. And that phrase doesn't mean being terrified or scared of God. What it means is awe and reverence, and correct understanding that we are not the creators of all things, that our judgment is not the highest judgment, that our way is not the highest way. We are people. God is God, and we understand the difference. That is awe and reverence, respect, fear of the Lord. That's what it means to have that kind of orientation brings into you a kind of humility, and that humility opens you up to receive not only instruction, but also correction. Not only instruction, but also correction. And that requires humility. You know, I think a lot of us think of us as being open to instruction. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to receive knowledge. I'm willing to be taught. But correction— Do any of us like receiving correction? I am the father of four young children. 
I actually don't think I need to say anything else, actually. <laughs> I think we're good. I can, no need to elaborate. I'll elaborate. I'm the father of four young children. There's a lot of correction, but there's also the understanding that I know they're not going to get it right the first time. That's not what being human is. That's not what being a person is. I'm not asking them to be perfect. I just desire for them to have the humility and the openness and the willingness to receive instruction and correction when it's appropriate. And in the same way, the people of Proverbs in their experience and the you that they're writing to aren't expected to be perfect, just humble enough to be open to this instruction and correction. I'd love to share some examples with you. Stephen's running the slides today upstairs. Stephen, if you would begin uh, with Proverbs 11, verses 24 through 36. You don't need to open it up in your Bible. I'm going to read through them real quickly, and they're going to be on the screens for you to follow along. Proverbs cover a lot of different topics. This one happens to be on the topics of generosity, and trust. Hear these words. Some give freely, yet grow all the richer, the writer writes. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. A generous person will be enriched. The one who gives water will get water. The people curse those who hold back grain, but a blessing is on the head of those who sell it. Whoever diligently seeks, seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. Those who trust in their riches will wither, but the righteous will flourish like green leaves. Those who trouble their households will inherit wind, and the fool will be the servant to the wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the wise capture souls. If the righteous are repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. The Proverbs writer is writing from experience. In the same way that the person who shared that word of wisdom about studying with me, this Proverbs writer is writing to people who live in a place where their ability to receive drinking water to sustain their life is dependent on things they cannot control, where their ability to feed their family is dependent on the success of a harvest that is not always reliable. It's natural in a time and place like this, when you find yourself with water, when you find yourself with grain, to say to anybody who doesn't have it, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I wish I could, but I just can't. I can't take the risk. What would happen to me? Who will take care of me? I'm sorry, I just cannot. And this Proverbs writer who's writing from experience, not only in their lives, but in the lives of generation after generation after generation, says the one who has water and gives it to others over and over and over again has enough. That's our witness. That's the way God's world works. Those who have grain and are met by those who have received a failed harvest when they're willing to equitably share it and not even give it away, just give them access to it. They have more than enough. That's the way God's world works. That's the way of righteous living. And that way is like a tree that just results in life, not only for you and for people around you. It captures and benefits your soul. Your life flourishes in the people who hoard and the people who restrict and the people who deny. Their life just withers. We've seen it. Receive that testimony receive this wisdom. That's just the way it goes. Receive this instruction. And if you're going a different way, this correction. 
Another selection from Proverbs on an entirely different topic. Proverbs 12, verses 13 through 19. It's a selection of Proverbs on the context of honesty and temperance. The evil are ensnared by the transgression of their lips, but the righteous escape from trouble. From the fruit of the mouth, one is filled with good things, and manual labor has its reward. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their anger at once, but the prudent ignore an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness speaks deceitfully. Rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Let this guideth thine posts on social media, thus saith the Lord. That's from the Lance Standard Translation. It's not officially recognized by the church, but I think it's helpful. <laughs> Fools think their own way is right. The wise listen to advice. Fools show their anger at once. The prudent ignores an insult. Speaking truth with honest evidence versus false witness. Speaking deceitfully. Rash words are like sword thrusts. Speaking without thinking is like a sword thrust. Speaking without reflecting on what it is you're saying and whom you're saying it to is like a sword thrust. The tongue of a wise brings healing. Is your tongue like a sword thrust or is it bringing healing? Those are words written from people 2,500, 3,000 years ago. People living before any modern recognition of community, let alone media, an entirely different context, entirely different language, entirely different social structure, but their witness is true because it's rooted in God's way. These are people who've experienced life in God's way and how good that life can be, and so they're sharing their witness, their testimony for, to you so that you might also be blessed. They see into a world in which you might be drawn, a world of hoarding, a world of fearfulness, a world of feeling like you have to take care of yourself because no one else will look out for you, and because of that, you won't look out for anybody else. Or a world of speaking rashly, so convicted of your own rightness all the time, you don't care whom you hurt or how. They see the possibility of that world, and they're calling you into something better. The words of the Proverbs don't call you out. They call you into a better way of being. And it may involve you saying no to something. It may involve you picking up a discipline that is difficult for you to pursue. It may involve you being corrected in a way that hits a little bit too close to home. But everything that you're being invited to do, everything that you're being invited to be is for your good. The person sharing that word of wisdom about education saw the possibility of a person so conflicted by the lack of boundaries between relaxation and productivity, living on their own for the first time. They were failing to live up to the new challenges in front of them and suffering from lack of self-esteem and worthiness because of it. And they gave me a word that called me into something different. And it required discipline and it required focus and required being corrected, but it brought me into a better life. The writers of the Proverbs are doing the same for you and for me. 
and for anybody else who has the humility, the willingness to receive instruction and maybe even correction from people who lived thousands of years ago. So how is this good news? If you're the one person who came in today and said, you know what I'm in the need of? Chokmah. I'm in the need of a little more chokmah in my life, a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more skill, and I'm really open to being called to live in a different way today. If that's you today, then that's good news. But what about for someone else? What about someone who's participating in this worship service today for the first time ever, has walked in through the door of a church for the first time ever, who's downloaded this sermon, they've never listened to a sermon before, they've never encountered the church before, they've never given Christ a chance before. What's the good news for them in this revelation? The good news is this. The wisdom works are a diary from people who have lived a life and found God at work in it. They have found God's truth, they have found God's purpose, and they have felt God's presence. Their lives have been transformed by something incredibly powerfully good and true, and they can't wait to tell you about it. So if you're the kind of person that is wondering what is the purpose of being? What is the difference between existence and non-existence? And does it even matter? Then these words are a testimony from the people who have dealt with those exact same feelings and they have found a God who is present and at work and they can't wait to share it with you. If you're the kind of person who looks at this world and says it is so unjust, it is so painful to the most vulnerable people, it hurts so many in so many ways, is there anything I or anyone can do about it? Then this wisdom literature is written by the people who've gone before you and said you can and you will and we will together because God is present and at work. If you're the kind of person who's living a life or trying to be a parent or a husband or a wife or a friend or a relative or a spouse, an employer, an employee, a student or a teacher, and it's just trying to figure out how do I do it in a way that honors goodness and truth and mercy, then Proverbs is a diary and a witness and a confession that God is present and at work showing you exactly what you need. And if you've hurt someone if you've let someone down, if you've left someone behind, if you've hurt yourself, if you look in the mirror and all you see is the word wretched, Proverbs is a testimony of people who have been there and come to know that God is still with you. And if you're just searching for a good night's sleep, God is with you too. And these are the stories from the people who found it. May we all have the humility and the openness to receive instruction and even correction from the God who loves us enough to provide it for us. Let's pray. Great and loving God, great are you and greatly to be praised. Today, O Lord, we praise you for the testimony of those who've gone before us, for this diary, this witness of people who have lived like us and shared what they found so we can live like them. A life of trust, a life of connection, a life of peace, a life of purpose, a life of forgiveness, a life of reconciliation, a good life made possible because of you. 
And may we receive in these words the preparation for the ultimate revelation of your goodness, your presence, your work with us, your Son, Jesus Christ. God, shape us, form us in the image of him, as together we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to invite our ushers to come forward now for our presentation of our tithes and offerings. And in advance, we thank you for your generosity. And, and we know that in the summertime, we are in all sorts of different places. Our rhythms are a bit different. So I want to remind you that all of us together can use our mobile devices to be sure that we are giving at the time and in the way that we want to. It's a way for us to literally be a community together. Uh, and for that, we say thank you to technology, and we especially say thank you to God. Let us pray. Oh God, for these gifts and for each person who offers them, we are excited to be a community, and we are excited to see what you will do with them. And we offer them all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Friends, at the end of every worship service, we always offer, want to offer you ways to be connected. And this morning, one of those is through on-ramp. Over here to my left, Ryan is right here. He would love to meet you this morning to help you learn information about groups in our church. Also, if you're a guest with us today, uh, we have gifts. We have gifts for children and youth and adults. And I know Ryan would be thrilled to meet you this morning. There also is a section of on-ramp that will be in Wesley Hall as well. And if you would like to have a prayer with someone before you leave today, to my right, you see Jeannie Cochran, and she is over by the Congregational Care Sign, and she would love to meet you and have a prayer with you. Thank you all for your concern. Proper medical resources have been called. We're going to be all right. Uh, would you please bow your heads and receive this benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face raise to shine upon you. And as you go from this place, I just realized I'm doing the benediction from the 930 service. I'm going to try again from the 11 o'clock service. Our gathering will soon be ended. Where will we go and what will we do? We will go out to be God's people in the world. May grace, peace, hope, love, and joy forever accompany you. Amen. Amen.